Chapter 19 of The Campfire Girls at Sunrise Hill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shasta, Oakland, California. The Campfire Girls at sunrise hill by margaret vandercook chapter nineteen the disappearance the august moon had never been more radiant indeed it flooded the sunrise campgrounds with a brightness that made it appear almost like day and now the regular council fire proceedings were over and the indian custom of the maiden's feast about to begin in a circle about a cone-shaped rock which had been brought with infinite difficulty to its position in the campgrounds miss mcmurtry and the maidens were seated each person bearing in her lap a round wooden bowl while from the smouldering ashes of the council fire arose a delicious odor of roasting ears of corn before the feast could be eaten a ceremony of as grave importance to the campfire girls as to the indian maidens of long ago must take place each girl was to take the oath of purity and honor and then the maiden's song would be sung and four times they would dance around the altar no one of the group of campfire members and no more their guardian really knew at first whether in this plan of eleanor's molly's and edith's there was any deeper motive than the entertainment of their friends and the revival of an old indian custom seemingly appropriate and beautiful but as the details unfolded themselves the suspicion in the minds of most of them grew almost into certainty once or twice miss mcmurtry had thought of stopping the proceedings altogether but then she did not feel satisfied that this method of the three girls for testing the innocence or guilt of their companions was not an admirable one more than she would have acknowledged since worry is not permitted in campfire rules had miss mcmurtry puzzled over what should be done in their present dilemma betty's money had certainly disappeared and someone must have stolen it if not nan then who else for they had had no guests since esther and betty returned with the money from the village post office so by the time edith norton with her light hair hanging loose about her shoulders and a circle of red about her head stepped forth into the centre of the circle looking unusually white and nervous there was not but one member of her audience who did not at least partially guess at what 
was about to take place and this was of course polly o'neill for not only did she fail to understand betty's actual loss and suspicion against nan but so deeply had she been involved in her own perplexity that she had hardly been aware of anything that had taken place that evening now however having at last made up her mind to take miss mcmurtry into her confidence when the girls had gone to bed she did look up with interest at the picturesque figure of edith near the cone-shaped rock two arrows had been lightly stuck into the ground this forming a sort of altar to which each maiden must come touching first the stone and then the arrows as she declares her purity as she stood by the side of this altar edith's voice trembled so that it was with difficulty her first words could be understood the girls who knew pretty well what to expect understood her immediately however but not polly sorrow and much uneasiness have lately crept into our midst my maidens she announced trying to preserve a certain likeness to the indian speech in the form of her words and many of us there are who go about heavy of heart because the sin of one of us must be the burden of us all until guilt is established and the innocent cleared some days ago there vanished from the possession of one of us fifty dollars in banknotes enclosed in an envelope containing no address this money has not been found but the envelope has been recognized as crumpled up and thrown away a few feet from the tent of its rightful owner now no member of the sunrise camp can feel it possible that any one of his members has been guilty of this sin and yet no visitor has stepped foot within our camp limits within the time when the deed must have occurred therefore have we three maidens after deep thought appointed this evening wherein the innocent may declare her innocence and the wrongdoer confess her sin for only in confession and by the return of the money can she ever hope to be at peace with herself moreover we believe that no campfire girl will take this oath of purity without telling the entire truth betty ashton will you come forward first betty jumped up quickly during edith's long harangue her group of listeners had been supremely uncomfortable so that no one of them dared to do more than barely glance at nan who sat with her knees up to her chin her eyes cast upon the ground and her black hair covering her face like a veil if she felt 
and of course she did, that Edith's speech was directed toward her rather than toward any other girl. Neither by a sound nor a movement did she betray it. Not even when Betty, having finished with her part in the ceremony, deliberately forsaking her former place in the circle, came back and sitting down next to her, deliberately laid her arm across Nan's bowed shoulders. There was nothing to do or say. She would only make things worse by any protest now, and yet Betty was bitterly grieved and offended. If Nan had done wrong, this public method of making her either confess or perjure herself she felt to be wholly unkind. So, as Nan was in everybody's thoughts during this time, no one happened to glance toward Polly O'Neill, or, seeing her, to observe anything unusual in her manner or appearance. For Polly, also, neither moved nor spoke during Edith's recital, although her face turned suddenly white. Fifty dollars in an envelope, the money in bank notes, and the envelope crumpled up and thrown away near their tent. Her discovery in the woods that day had been just this, and she herself had thrown away that same envelope. Betty, of course, had lost the enclosure out of her letter in bringing it home from the post office, and, hiding the letter away afterwards, believed the money still there. Why did not Polly get up and make this announcement at once? It would have been very simple, except for one thing. She had spent the money, and in the first moment of surprised horror, had no idea how she would ever be able to return it. Like a good many impetuous people, Polly O'Neill sometimes had the misfortune to do her thinking when it was too late. Finding the money in the woods, when she felt she needed it so much, had seemed to her like a miracle, so that it never occurred to her, either that afternoon or evening, that she should have tried to find out to whom the money rightfully belonged before using it, although she had been thinking of little else since then. That this money should have been Betty's of all people, and that it was now her duty to stand up and confess her mistake before her friends. Polly set her teeth but the circle of girls revolved before her eyes. She had been worrying too much to be either reasonable or well. And at that moment Edith Norton might demand that she step forward and take the oath, which was meant to proclaim that she had had nothing to do with the loss of Betty's money. Truly, she did not understand that the charge had been directed 
against poor Nan. So, watching her opportunity, Polly slipped away without being noticed. When Nan Graham's name was called from the center of the circle, the silence was oppressive. But the girl rose up quietly, pushing her coarse black hair from her face, and as quietly walked forward to the cone-shaped rock where the two arrows were still standing fixed in the ground. Before laying her hand on these objects, however, she stood perfectly still for a moment, letting her accusing eyes sweep from the face of one of her girl's judges to the other, and then, touching the stone and the arrows, came back quickly to her old place. Not till then did she betray how deeply the atmosphere of distrust and unfaith had hurt her. But when Betty's arm came round her for the second time, she burst into weeping, hiding her face on Betty's shoulder, and hearing her whisper comfortingly, I believe with all my heart that you know nothing of my wretched money, Nan, and I beg your pardon if I even made you think I suspected you. Just before the time for Polly to take the oath, her absence was discovered, but not until the feast of the corn had actually begun did Molly and Betty go back to their tent to look for her, and they did not return for so long a time that Miss McMurtry, fearing Polly might be ill, rose up to follow them. However, she had only gone a few steps before the two girls joined her. We can't find Polly anywhere, Donna, Molly said in an extremely annoyed tone. We have looked in all the tents and called and even gone down to the pine grove. What silly mood do you suppose has overtaken her? For the one thing Mother most objects to is for Polly to wander off alone at night. She did it once when she was a very little girl. Don't worry, Molly. She is sure to be back in half a minute when she remembers, the older woman replied. End of chapter 19